0: This is the Sutter Faction Podcast, I'm Evan Sutter. You know, over the years there is probably one word that has offended me more than most, and that is the dreaded D word. No, not that one, I've been called that one many times and it doesn't really affect me. This D word is dreamer. I used to hate it when people would call me a dreamer. It used to offend me, I saw it as a negative like I was always doing something wrong. But more recently, I've come to terms with this idea. Yes, I've probably been guilty of being too idealistic, of thinking things can be better or different, and that I could make it better or different myself. And while it, while it has been really, really hard, and I've at times struggled playing in the uncertainty for so long, the uncertainty of whether new ideas will take hold, the uncertainty of whether I would be a poor old man with nothing but foolish ideas and some fun, hazy memories trying to make them happen. But maybe the world needs more dreamers and maybe now more than ever. And the more I thought about this concept and this idea of failure, it became less about outcomes and more about softening into this one life and living it in ways that do suck the marrow out of it. So as John O'Donohue said, we can sit on our deathbed and say we didn't sit on the fence. Yes, maybe my life would have been easier sitting there, but whether it would be more full, more interesting, more alive... I'm not so sure. I've failed many times. And as I talk today about a passion of mine, a passion that became a project, that became a business, that became this keynote talk in Copenhagen last year, I'm still not so sure where this one actually fits. From a business perspective, is it a failure right now? Maybe. But from a life perspective, definitely not. And that's the important one. And it's quite the opposite of failure. If anything, it completely enriched my life, took me to places I never thought I could get to. And I'm not speaking geographically, but those cooler places, the ones we can only get to when we really open up, when we are vulnerable enough, bold and brave enough, raw and even a little bit scared. And sometimes we tend to overlook all these cool important things intertwined in our failures. So I want to share this talk that captures my last seven years pretty well the adventures that opened up, new adventures. It will flow from philosophy to individual happiness to business happiness, and it will relate to your well-being as individuals, as employees, consumers, entrepreneurs, managers, as living beings, as inhabitants of planet Earth and our responsibility to that and our communities, and the little ones that will join us here soon. I think it is an important talk for our many roles as human beings, and for our happiness, freedom, and aliveness. This talk was originally called "Is Business the Key to Making the World a Happier Place," and it was delivered as a 50-minute keynote talk at Go to Cape, Copenhagen in November 2019 in front of a live audience of around 5,000 people. And I can't recall ever feeling more alive. It's a you know a really cool experience crafting and recrafting the content, tying in the visuals, and then learning every word, every beat, every pause, and and every bad choice of humor, and then of course delivering it on stage for, for 50 minutes. There is no sitting on the fence there. Here today for this talk, I adjusted to be more relevant for you, removing some content that was originally associated with the European audience and content and ideas that corresponded with the visuals on the big screen. This talk was called Is Business the Key to Making the World a Happier Place? For satisfaction, I call it the dreamer and the legacy. Inspiration, ideas and being bold and foolish enough to see them through. I hope you can take something from this. And here it is. I know what you might be thinking. Is this guy crazy or lost perhaps? Speaking about happiness at a software development conference in one of the world's happiest countries. Not to mention the freezing temperatures outside for a bald man from Australia. Yes, I understand happiness is a lot different from the content we've heard thus far, but I believe it is just as relevant. Just as relevant because we are all human beings and we encounter stress, loss and suffering and great potential for freedom, fulfilment and love. So I'm here speaking on happiness because 1. Everyone can identify with it, relate to it and be engaged by it in some way, no matter where you are, and that's imperative. And two. Because it's you. The creators, the innovators, the free thinkers, the human beings that are forging and moulding the future world. And with that comes a question. Do we have a responsibility to this future world? To our children, friends, family, communities and environment? And I think we would all agree that yes, we do. We are all responsible for our thoughts, words and actions. For our world and the world our little ones inherit. What are we offering them? My name is Evan Sutter, I'm the founder of Hapsley and All for coach, consultant in happiness, meaning and well-being. I'm going to share a story about an adventure I went on where I learned a lot about my own individual happiness and how that can be applied to each of our lives and our businesses to drive better business, happier individuals and a happier world. And that story starts here, where most of my stories started. You see, I was well entrenched in the pleasure trap Accustomed to covering up every emotion in something or someone else. Filling my time with alcohol, sex, girls, parties. Chasing after my happiness in external things over and over again and again. Adventures that took me to 50 plus countries and endless nights of debauchery. But I was also in quite a unique position. A unique position because I had a brother who was a Buddhist monk living in Thich Hans Plum Village Monastery in France. He could see me stuck in this unhealthy circle where nothing of great quality would ever grow and he wanted me to come and visit him. He sent me a lot of emails to make that a reality, asking me these deep questions that I never had even considered. What is important in your life? How shall you get it? What do you have to change? Are you really happy with this life as it is? Some pretty good questions that we could all benefit from reflecting on. What a lucky younger brother, right? Not what I was thinking at the time. The emails continued and then came his big sell. Well, sell is probably not the best choice of words considering he didn't even own a wallet. He wrote, Do you want a mature, kind, authentic woman and learn the tools to love one genuinely? He knew that if he mentioned women, I might actually go and visit him. So I made it to this fascinating place fascinating. That's a nice word for what I was thinking at the time. Have you ever been to a place where almost immediately your mind starts creating stories about how you're going to get the hell out of there? Well that was me. But when listening to a talk from Thich Nhat Hanh my first week and hearing him say that the trick is not to run away from our suffering, I quickly realised that that is all I ever did. I was an escape artist, addicted to avoiding anything that felt even remotely uneasy using sex, drugs, alcohol, even relationships and technology, so I never had to feel. And have you ever heard a song where each word resonates with you so strongly you think it was written for you? Well, that happened, and it wasn't a top 100 hit song, but instead a song sung by an elder Vietnamese monk. Translated in English to, hey you, why are you running around in circles? I was a runner, maybe because I thought that life was about always feeling good. But isn't it? Is life about always being happy? I've come to think that maybe it's more about having a full life, being fully alive. And with that, it is inevitable that we will suffer. Thich Nhat Hanh would talk about this no mud, no lotus, how the beautiful lotus flower would only grow from mud. So it's not about never suffering and avoiding it at all costs. What's more important is having the skills and tools to still function and grow when we do. And what tools had I cultivated that would actually make my life better, happier and freer? Zero. Zero. Maybe it's because I had made exploration and travel purely an external thing. But true exploration should always change us here, in the heart and the head. Like Proust said, the true voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Exploration doesn't have to involve always moving and doing. We can explore ourselves every single day and learn countless new lessons. But if we just distract ourselves again and again so we never have to answer any real questions, we'll never get to any good ones either. How many times have you heard in movies, on TV, from friends, even at school, you have to find yourself? Find yourself? What does that even mean? I don't think we find ourselves. I think we create ourselves. As a society, as individuals, innovators, entrepreneurs, developers, as human beings, we flourish if we can remain curious and courageous. When we can learn to sit with ourselves, bored, uncomfortable, and not run away, we learn so much about ourselves. We connect with our values, our strengths, and weaknesses. We really examine our lives, and we become less a product of our environment, and instead we start creating it. Thoreau said, we cannot dream ourselves into character we must hammer and forge one. But there is not much hammering and forging in the pursuit of only pleasant things, if you just answer every craving and desire that comes knocking. Maybe this is why we learn mindfulness and meditation, as Tikkunen Han says, so we can be good gardeners. So we can develop the capacity to see which seeds we need to water, sow, or shine light on. Stopping to learn how to cultivate what's important and learning not to shine light on the things we don't want to grow. Leaving the bad seeds of anger, fear, anxiety, craving and cultivating only are good qualities. Three months living in this run-down hut with my monk brother was the biggest adventure I've ever been on. And I had travelled a lot before this, I just never explored what really matters. And you don't have to wait until your monk brother sends you 100 emails to inspire a quarter of a midlife crisis. You don't even have to buy a motorbike or get a tattoo. You just have to ask yourself wherever you are in life... What am I doing and why? I guess I've spent the past seven years of my life learning to do just that. To exploring the topics of happiness, meaning and well-being and creating a world I'm proud to leave my grandchildren with. I wrote a book, Solitude, How Doing Nothing Can Change the World and from there I organically started doing talks at schools and businesses. This led to running a range of workshops and events like soft sand walking meditations on Australia's famous Bondi Beach to teach people the skills to live their best and most vibrant lives. I worked on an environmental campaign to ban single-use plastic. I even got my 8-year-old nephew involved. And I found that when we teach young people to care about more than themselves in a light and playful way, their lives become enriched with joy and meaning. I started an engaging education initiative in Bogota, Colombia, where children illustrated my children's stories to learn English in a fun and dynamic way to help encourage lifelong learning and help break the cycle of poverty. I also got involved in a social enterprise in a favela in Brazil, to teach them the skills in entrepreneurship and mindfulness and create alternative pathways to the drug and crime scene there. It was these three things in particular that made me realise that maybe we can make bigger change than just teaching people the art of happiness, and I saw business at the centre of that change. Because where we spend our time and money shapes the world. Spend it as consumers, employees, investors, suppliers in our many roles as human beings with businesses and people doing great things through their corporate responsibility, employee wellbeing programs, community engagement and give back initiatives and we spread happiness far and wide. We give an opportunity to people like the kids in Colombia who typically leave school at age 14 to work, work low level jobs and keep the cycle of poverty turning who might never get the chance to enjoy true happiness on their own, not without these offerings from business, which plays a central role in improving the quality of life and happiness for billions of people. And like no other time in history, can have a huge impact on people living in almost any part of the globe. Like Annalisa, who started her first business in Pajero Prado-Lopez, this favela in Brazil, with the support of many social enterprises, who without good governance and opportunities for decent work, command over material resources, social trust things we've identified as crucial to our individual happiness, it wouldn't matter if she read all the happiness self-help books in the world because their chances of true happiness would always be limited. But now her desserts serve as a reminder of what business can do to reshape people's lives and entire communities. As I worked on these projects, it became very clear the important role business could play in driving positive change in one of, if not the most efficient and effective ways, with tremendous reach. So we wanted to create an initiative that made it easier to make business better and happier, which could possibly make us all a little happier. An initiative that measures businesses on their happiness output and creates a framework for a happy, flourishing business. We identify the happiest and unhappiest countries using things like income, freedom, government trust, life expectancy, social support and generosity, but what if we did that for our businesses that can have more of a direct impact on our everyday choices and thus our happiness, a tool to better guide corporate responsibility, sustainability, and well being, and pinpoint areas for an integrated and holistic workplace happiness, and make it easy for all of us as consumers, employees, investors, founders, managers, as humans to make better choices that spread happiness further and wider. The amazing work done by businesses around the world is limited if no one knows about them and it doesn't affect how we spend our time and money, and vice versa. Our great choices every day are limited if others' choices aren't great and aren't great on a much grander scale. So really, it needs to be engaging. And could happiness, as we can all identify with it everywhere, be a better way to engage more people to care for the environment, our communities, our fellow humans, while cultivating better business and a happier world? Just like my brother got me to the monastery with the promise of women, not meditation, we need to engage first, then shift behaviours. And to be effective, it really needs to connect the top-down and the bottom-up. There is no CSR without consumers playing their part, and too often we see purely a top-down approach without it having an impact where it really counts. CSR initiatives from business can sometimes appear too corporate, so they fail to connect with everyday people. And the bottom-up approach, things like conscious consumerism movements, can appear too idealistic, so they don't engage wider populations, and they certainly don't engage business. Solution? Happiness perhaps. But this is the same challenge for using happiness, right? So how do we define happiness, measure it, and use it as a tool that could make this important change? What is a happy business and how can a business and each of us actually generate happiness? And maybe this is what this is all about in a nutshell. How can each of us generate happiness every day to live really good lives while we are alive? To do this, we looked at policies and practices from many governments, the Gross National Happiness of Bhutan and other countries like Denmark, to see how they thrive in togetherness and social trust, empowerment and common responsibility, things directly related to thriving in business and as individuals. We looked at Australia, Canada, Hong Kong and the work on positivity by the UAE. The Happiness Research Institution, and Martin Seligman's work on well-being, in particular his PERMA model, and leading businesses like Patagonia and Blackmore's all helped shape our understanding. So we put an emphasis on clearly defining how businesses and each of us generate happiness. And when defining happiness for a business it needs to be first fought from an individual perspective and thereafter from a business perspective. It means when you have set the outline of one's happiness, my happiness, your happiness, you can look for how a business could influence this outline. So let's take a look at the individual perspective. An individual can split their daily life into three general parts. Work, leisure, and the time to fulfill his own needs as a human. Sleep, eat, etc. The complexity in defining happiness is to derive it from these different timelines and see within these three parts of a day, work, leisure, needs, where a business can influence one's happiness. The Happiness Research Institute defines happiness as three dimensions of well-being. One, the cognitive dimension. Overall life satisfaction. In terms of attention span, memory, learning, patterns of thinking. Two, the affective dimension. Positive and negative emotions experienced on a daily basis. Relating to mood, feelings, etc. And three, the eudaimonic dimension. Purpose and meaning in one's life. As Aristotle said, achieved through self-actualization and having meaningful purpose. Of course, only obtainable after the basic needs are met. Think Maslow's hierarchy, needs, esteem, belongingness, love, safety, physical, survival. It is here we distinguish the different timelines. A short-term hedonic happiness where people strive to get as many positive emotions as possible and avoid negative ones, and a long-term eudaimonic happiness based on a search for purpose and meaning in one's life. This is not either or. We are both hedonists and eudaimonists. Our uniqueness lies in the proportion of these two within ourselves. My proportion prior to the monastery is largely skewed in favour of short-term hedonic side. And that side is not all bad. We need regular positive emotions to be happy. It just comes back to our why and our intention. Remember the trick is not to run away from our suffering. So what factors in our daily life are essential to our happiness? In order to achieve happiness an individual needs these things. Decent work working conditions, health, wage, and benefits. And this is the reason why we continue to see countries like Denmark, Finland, and the Netherlands at the top of the happiest countries, and the US much further down. Two, command over material resources, economic power and our consumption. Three, personal freedom of actions, the ability to develop ourselves personally and professionally. A good governance, a so respect and security. Social trust within the community, so good relationships, belonging. Thich Nhat Hanh says, "Without community, we can't achieve much. And this is a huge part of Danish huga togetherness, common responsibility, community spirit, empowerment, harmonious shared experiences. And it is with trust and communication that dialogue, dialogue opens and we flourish as individuals, businesses, and even in relationships from country to country. Six, we need to cultivate mindfulness and virtue. So, improving mental health, behavior showing moral standards. Seven, regular positive emotions in the day, and eight, deep meaning and purpose. We need to be useful and recognized and when you throw in some physical health you're looking very happy and we quickly see that we all whoever is listening now who can listen now have the conditions to be very happy so we now need to look at how a business can affect each of these elements in a holistic view of happiness and when you've created this outline it makes it much easier to make more effective and efficient choices pope francis wrote humans need to be considered in all contexts as moral agents members of society agents in the economy, and parts of nature itself. So we apply this statement to businesses as well. A business is an entity that has both endogenous functioning in terms of employees' management and exogenous functioning, how and where they operate. Therefore, it makes sense that a business needs to bring happiness towards its four stakeholders, ensuring the well-being of its employees, making its customers happy, and acting in a responsible and benevolent way towards the environment and the community in which it operates. We see that everything is connected to everything else, and when we look after these, we organically look after another stakeholder, investors. And it is important here to realize that, again, happiness isn't all green rolling hills and blue skies. That, that's certainly a part of it. But as I mentioned, as individuals, it is inevitable that we will suffer. What's more important is having the tools and skills to make the right choices to still function well when we do. This is the same for business. Things aren't going to go well all the time. It ebbs and flows goes up and down. What's important is having the tools to make better choices that allow each of our stakeholders to flourish. Stephen Pinker wrote, knowledge is crucial to improving human well-being and enhancing human welfare. And we apply some of that here. And this isn't limited to management or founders, CEOs, or your job title at all. We can all, and we should all, Make choices every single day that allow our businesses to truly flourish, but then allow us to flourish. It's all connected. And here are some ideas from the happiness score we created at Hapsley to get you started. First, we look at the well being of employees, and that takes the following concerns into account. One, time use, giving a satisfying work leisure balance blend, and it includes you know, flexibility of working hours, flexibility of work location and how long employees break for meals every day, etc. Time is obviously a very important component of our happiness, well, of our lives. And so a satisfying work-life balance and things like flexibility play a crucial role. Especially in our busy, time-precious lives, one of the greatest things we can do as a business and as individuals is look at how we spend our time. You want to be happier? First step, examine how you spend your time. Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. For business, examine how the people around you spend their time. Research from Robert Half and Happiness Work shows that people who feel free at work are 2.7 times more likely to be happy than those who don't. And most things that make your people happier make your business better. And yes, I spend a lot of my time in California, but this isn't all hippie idealism. It makes business better. Even large international companies like PwC, probably the least likely to be mistaken for a hippieish company, show that size isn't a factor. It has significant flexibility. Program over 70% of employees either telecommute or use flex time. That's a good sign of overall effectiveness. In fact, of the 50 best workplaces for flexibility, ones that offer flex time and telecommuting, 95% of employees said they would give extra to get a job done and loyalty improve. With nine in 10 saying they would stay for a long time. It can save a company significant money. I think it's around 11k US a year. It can attract high and retain top talent from anywhere in the world. Workers are happier, more productive, less stressed, they can see their kids, and employee turnover is greatly reduced. High trust culture improves performance. Other companies like Clif Bar, a popular snack in the US, show the benefits of aligning it to your company values. It is built on health and fitness, so it makes sense to provide paid time off for employees to use the gym. This just deepens the culture of health and fitness further, while attracting and retaining the best talent that just deepens the culture even more. Add to this free laundry and dryer at work for personal use, even on-site haircuts and auto-detailing, and it just gives employees even more time, even less stress, and deepens a culture of trust, loyalty, and belongingness, all vital for our individual happiness, for business success, and when you look further along, we see that a culture that promotes a healthy work-life balance leads directly to a country with high childhood satisfaction rates, and that's pretty huge. Countries like Denmark and the Netherlands are typically at the top of the world's best countries for work-life balance. You have less stress living there knowing your children are satisfied, and you have ample time to help shape their lives. The ripple and connection is clear. We can directly influence children's happiness across the country and the world in our decisions as employers and employees. Looking at time use can have a huge impact on our individual happiness, the happiness of entire populations of children, children who then become adults, and the success of our businesses. So what about implementing things like lazy days, lazy mornings or days and mornings of mindfulness? We did this at the monastery and they were powerful. A chance for all of us to shift from doing mode to being mode. And doing mode isn't always the best way of achieving peak performance. We replace autopilot with awareness. We don't always try to sit and outthink our problems, that's difficult and stressful. We learn to reconnect mind with body, step outside the storm and noise, relax, refocus, reinvigorate, crucial for our health and well-being not to mention things like creativity, innovation, and productivity. What else do we need to take into account for holistic employee well-being? Two, living standards in terms of wage and benefits. And when you look at health insurance, for example, yes, not such a big issue in countries like Denmark and why it's consistently at the top of the world's happiest nations, but in the US it's a different story and it's not a happy one. 44 million Americans don't have health insurance. And another 38 million have inadequate health insurance just imagine the huge stress and worry that will come with not having protection to look after you you and your family and that stress doesn't leave you when you clock off and it makes it near impossible to be holistically happy and if you think of maslow's hierarchy of human needs makes it near impossible to move further up and fulfill your esteem and self-actualization needs that's why it is number one for making employees in the us most satisfied and why am i talking about the us it's not relevant right Well, I think it is. As Da Vinci said, we need to realise that everything connects to everything else, especially in 2020. For example, who helped pioneer in-work childcare in the US? What if I told you it was a man who loved to climb mountains and ate canned cat food so he could afford to do it more often? Well, damaged canned cat food so he could do it even longer. Of course, I'm speaking of Yvonne Chouinard, founder of Patagonia, one of the leading values-driven organisations on the planet. also look beyond the norm and creating his innovative let my people go surfing flex time policy to satisfy what we just heard there in time use by implementing these things we demonstrate good governance and drastically boost social trust things we need for our happiness and more importantly we help create a blueprint to encourage other businesses to follow suit and when it impacts on how and where we spend our time and money we don't just encourage but we force other businesses to have to follow or be left behind Left behind because maybe it can't attract the best talent anymore, amongst other things. So it's not limited to employees in the US. Because people in Australia, South Africa, Denmark can use successful case studies from all over the world to simulate important discussion and forge better conditions. Not just health insurance and childcare, but maternity, paternity, well-being programs, transport, meal, medical checkups, and in 2020, many other innovative things. This area in particular is calling out for innovation. 3. Development Having the ability to develop ourselves personally and professionally is a key component of what we need to achieve happiness. Thus having access to training like workshops, seminars, retreats, talks, to improve existing skills, add new skills and enhance values and ethics are simple things that we can all do that can have a huge impact on our happiness. That is why companies like Pixar and Deloitte have their own universities. Employee development drives engagement and gives more and more people access to what they need to be happy and we can't rely on the university system alone to promote learning and development. Business can give more people access to learn and grow in a supportive and conducive environment with more relevant and practical skill sets, with a focus on lifelong learning, which the current system can make difficult. Take John, for example. John is 45 years old and only now just paid off his student debt, which isn't too uncommon in the US, Australia, and many other places. He's pretty unhappy and dislikes his job. But something tells me John won't be rushing to dive back into more debt, so instead he settles for another 30 years of chronic unhappiness and a lack of meaning and engagement at work. Not good for John, his family, friends, community, and not good for his company. Not if business is a true vehicle for learning and development. And when it comes to development and happiness, we also need open communication channels to have a say and share ideas. We all need to be involved in the decision making, and we need feedback. When we have this, we feel trust, we belong, we're useful, recognize, we have meaning, engagement, and accomplishment. We feel good when we have all these things, right? John is certainly happier, and all these things are fundamental to our individual happiness. And we see this in Seligman's work and his PERMA model for well being, standing for positive emotion, engagement, positive relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. And these things are all things that as a business you can and should directly influence, especially if you want to be a good, successful business. And if you want to be happier individuals, these are the things that you should call out for and actively influence in your actions each and every day. Research from Robert Half and Happiness Work shows feeling appreciated is one of the top drivers of happiness in the UK. Feeling appreciated is particularly important to younger employees And it is the strongest determinant of happiness for workers aged under 35. I'm 36, so not long ago, I just wanted to feel appreciated, recognized, useful. Now that I'm 36, guess what is the most important for my happiness and everyone else here over 35? A good divorce attorney. (laughs) No, no, no. Most studies indicate it is autonomy and meaning. And when we look at meaning, we may practice mindfulness, have positive relationships, but if we have limited or zero meaning at work, where we spend a lot of our lives, can we be truly happy? Well, holistically and integrated, no. And with life expectancy increasing in all countries in the world, a newborn will live more than eight decades, that's the case in the US, nine years longer than their counterparts just half a century ago, it means it's even more important to create meaning at work or you may just be unhappier for longer. Take one of my dearest friends, for instance, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning him. Well... I always do, especially if you've listened to this podcast. His name is Lou. He's 83. You may be thinking, well, he's not going to hear this anyway. He's 83. He's, no, he will. He's now learning Mac to cut up his old footage to create his new documentary. I met him on the tennis court. He took that up at age 60. We played regularly. We share books. Everything from Sapiens to Pinker's Enlightenment now, even Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Being engaged, having meaning, positive relationships, a focus on development and growth make our lives worthwhile and enrich it with a zest and aliveness. And they shouldn't stop when we leave university when we get a job. When we have people young and old, with autonomy, engagement, meaning, who are free-thinking and curious, this changes the world, especially in the elderly where these things tend to disappear far too often. But business can be a driver to show that these things aren't merely consigned to age groups or certain times of our lives. And if you do our jobs right as managers, employees, founders, we drive positive change in children, which we just saw, right through adulthood and well into our 90s. We change families, communities and spread happiness far and wide. Four, workplace. This is where we make sure the work environment is favourable for well-being and nurtures positivity. Through things like team building, practices to encourage positive team spirit, compassion, kindness, inclusivity and diversity policies. We know positive relationships are important, well imperative. The Harvard study in adult development started in 1938 and research from the blue zones all indicate just how crucial relationships are for our overall happiness and well-being. They are just as important for a flourishing business. Employees who have positive relationships for their teams are more likely to be happier than those who don't and we can promote a positive culture by creating many opportunities for our people to connect. Not just nights out drinking, this can have the opposite impact, but when we have connection and trust, we have more joy in our jobs, less stress, and more loyalty. And when we look at diversity and inclusivity, it flourishes from open communication channels and access to training we just just discussed in development, and is enhanced tremendously for implementing practices around kindness, compassion, and respect. We can't look at diversity policies alone or one-dimensionally. It needs to be from an interconnected, integrated approach. Thich Nhat Hanh said, It is only with the practice of deep listening and gentle communication we can help remove wrong perceptions that are the foundation of fear and hatred and thus allow diversity the chance to flourish. One exercise around compassion and kindness I learnt in the monastery but I implemented into a startup while I was a CHO and used regularly in my everyday life is watering flowers. Complimenting a colleague or a friend, saying something nice about a project they performed well in, an act they carried out or just a general thank you. And I encourage everyone to get out their phone, send that text, that email now and water that flower. This is simple yet powerful. Good things like Teflon and bad things like Velcro. We are good at seeing our faults so it is always helpful to have others recognise our goodness and help us grow. And it actually helps both parties grow. As doing an act of kindness releases our feel-good chemicals and we get a little helper high, while satisfying our need for connection. We create positive emotions for appreciation and gratitude, which leads to higher functioning people and cultivates increased motivation and higher self-esteem. Are you going to send that message? When we show vulnerability and courage, we build connection, trust, respect, and we feel good, and a beautiful and powerful ripple takes shape. And it is a ripple, right? Researchers from Yale University monitored 5,000 people living in a small town in Massachusetts for more than three decades. They found that when someone was happy or sad, courageous or vulnerable, that emotion rippled throughout the entire town. So if we all just sent that message just now, we probably just made 20,000 people feel a little bit better and happier. Building in diversity, policy with compassion and kindness creates a thriving business where safety, trust and empowerment flourish. This is a breeding ground for creativity, innovation, different and fresh ideas and thinking outside the octagon. (laughs) I lost count of how many times I've been invited to events in San Francisco or Sydney with people saying, come, there'll be plenty of like-minded people. Like-minded people? Who wants that? No, I want different people, different opinions, new ideas. Diversity is beautiful, and when implemented well into business, it has a huge positive impact inside and outside of business for our communities and for our next generations. When you bring together mindfulness, kindness, compassion, trust, communication, development, sharing, deep listening... You unlock a vibrant and powerful culture, one that ripples right through business and into all corners of society. 5. Health This is all about showing care, physical well-being programs, events, subsidized gym, yoga, physical activity breaks and mental health programs. Yes, you can leave that to your employees to do on their own time, right? But we all know life can be a difficult balancing act for children in the mix, relationships, events and we may never just get around to it especially without the support, trust and accountability we can get from a community. community like a business, and a happy business should be just that, a community. And in fact, if all businesses were more like communities, where togetherness, respect, honesty and empowerment flourished, the ripple would hit almost every corner of society. Who misses out if we don't implement or promote something related to our physical health in business? Well, we all do. We all do. The business, the individual and the world. Businesses miss out on healthy individuals who have improved moods, higher energy levels, better concentration. The individual misses these along with less stress, better sleep and less illness. And the business doesn't enjoy less absenteeism, improved team morale, communication and motivation. All in all, we don't help alleviate the cost of obesity and related physical conditions. That's around $200 billion in the US alone. Just imagine that redirected elsewhere, even just a fraction And as with physical health, having access to tailored programs to look after our mental health is imperative. And this is where I see business playing a particularly important role as it can increase the reach significantly of people getting access to the skills to improve their mental well-being, their freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. And it helps alleviate some of the biggest roadblocks to improving this area of our lives. Ongoing practice, accountability, and support. Business makes it easy for people of all ages and backgrounds to get access to the all-important tools in a supportive and conducive environment. Otherwise, you miss a huge proportion of people who aren't downloading the latest meditation app or who struggle to carve out the time with conflicting interests. What's usually the first thing to go? A meditation practice because it's hard and it takes time to see results. Yes, it takes time to see results. So if our business stepping in, we could miss a complete generation used to the instant gratification for 2020 delivers. And going at it alone is even more difficult. That's why I continually hear people who have downloaded all the latest meditation apps but still don't practice. We need a supportive environment. And it doesn't have to be an exhaustive program. It can be fun. And in fact, it needs to be fun and playful for the reasons I just mentioned. John Kabat-Zinn, the pioneer of MBSR, says a lightness of being and playfulness are key elements to the practice of mindfulness because they are key elements of well-being. When I was the CHO of a startup, I implemented simple exercises and practices tailored to the needs of the actual employees, starting and ending meetings with short one-minute guided meditations, gratitude and kindness exercises like the watering flowers, walking meditations like the ones I started on Bondi Beach, standing meditation and a range of sharing techniques, When we look after the mental and emotional health of our people, we really look after the health of our business. We drive deeper connection, trust, loyalty, vulnerability, and courage, and happier, more fulfilled human beings who only help all of these good things spread even more. And I've been working on how we can all cultivate these qualities alongside gratitude, meaning, and engagement to live our best, fullest, most self actualized lives. And that's taken the shape of the awake model and the four foundations exploration, know yourself, meaning, and presence for aliveness and happiness. We learn that exploration and curiosity doesn't have a use-by date. We answer the questions in my brother's email. Am I happy with this life as it is? What am I doing and why? And we answer that on a regular basis. We connect to ourselves on a deeper level than we are accustomed to and we hammer and forge the character Faroe speaks of. We imbue our lives with meaning, connection, awareness, passion and live more aligned to our values because we actually know what they are. We bring joy to ordinary moments and to everyone around us. When we implement well-being initiatives, physical and mental, we all get to enjoy less stress, less anxiety, more awareness, focus and concentration. And we teach the tools to shift between doing mode and being mode to reconnect mind and body and boost creativity, problem-solving skills, sharpen intuition and teach us to be more compassionate and alive. Who would you rather work with? Who would you rather work with your clients and customers? Someone who showcases these traits or the opposite. Who would you rather live with? Because this helps craft happier, healthier, better employers, but also makes us a better friend, husband, brother and uncle. And we start cultivating that in all our relationships and it spreads further again. Without business stepping in, too many people miss out and fall through the gaps. And the ripple doesn't get a chance to take shape. Just imagine if we truly leverage all businesses to equip the majority of people with the sharpened tools to live a happier, healthier life. And 6. Financials. As we grow and evolve as a business, we can continually add new elements, new practices and policies to improve the health and happiness of our employees. And we as individuals can continually hold our businesses accountable to do just that by sending emails, by opening up that dialogue, by wanting more, by being more. We can see improvements already inside and outside the business and we see tremendous potential and this is only looking at employee well-being. And I've only pinpointed a few areas too. There is a lot more in the happiness score framework. So let's look at the next of the stakeholders. Let's look at community and environment. A business operates benevolently in a sense that, one, it has good governance, essential to bring trust, respect, and ethics. And this is fundamental for our individual happiness and from a business perspective. Do our businesses have procedures to deal with discipline, grievance, health and safety, discrimination, harassment, and bullying? Do you have a chief happiness officer or someone with direct responsibility for happiness? Someone to look after the things I've mentioned thus far and all that's to follow. We have people who look after employee well-being and people who look after sustainability, But do but, but we need to look at these things holistically to make sure there are no missing gaps. It is all interconnected and looking at happiness and having a CHO can help ensure we bring all these things together to create a truly flourishing business that cares for its people its business's long-term success, and the world. This deeply entrenches trust, respect, and ethics into the culture of the entire company. Two, the business shows cultural diversity and resilience regarding its community. Do you provide equal pay and conditions to all employees performing similar duties regardless of race and gender? Is there transparency in pay scales? Do you promote diversity in hiring and promotion? And again, Diversity needs to be looked at alongside all the other things I just discussed in employer well-being. Too often it is purely reactive, especially in hiring and promotion, and policies alone in hiring won't shift deeply ingrained habits and remove wrong perceptions for the foundations of fear and hatred. Without the mindfulness, compassion and kindness ongoing and long-term, not just one-off, and for all people, leaders included, and without these open communication channels, the same challenges will persist. When looked at together real, long-term change will happen inside and outside the business. 3. The business operates in favour of its community vitality, i.e. do you screen suppliers on social, environmental and ethical impact? Do you know the suppliers to your suppliers? Because you might pay your employees fair wages but what if one of your suppliers doesn't? What would happen if you stopped using them? Could that encourage them and other suppliers to start caring for their employees? What would that do for the happiness of many, many human beings, their families, communities, and the world? Fairphone, an Amsterdam-based startup, makes the world's first fairly designed and produced smartphone. It makes sure the raw materials in the smartphone should not come from conflict areas of 80% recycled with a focus on circularity. And since the phone is assembled in China, the company also ensures that the workers receive fair wages there too. There is a big focus on improved employment practices, health and safety, and worker satisfaction. And these are big things in the heart of today's electronics industries that is rife with poor practices and terrible, terrible conditions. In doing so, Fairphone and other other companies like it hope to engage a new customer base and make a huge positive difference for our planet and its people at the same time. A Nielsen report found that 66% of of consumers are willing to spend more for goods that have a positive social and environmental impact. And this is of course more prevalent in millennials and in certain areas, San Francisco being one. But if we push this to other age groups and outside of these so-called conscious hotspots, and maybe bump it up to 80%, we will drive faster, deeper change. Because where we spend our money and time does shape the world. The challenge here is making it known how important it can be, and making it easier to make these more informed decisions. At the moment, it's still too hard, because who's heard of Fairphone, right? Who buys their jackets from Patagonia? And that leads to my next point. Company has ecological and social responsibilities, i.e., do you have formal practices to minimize or eliminate your environmental impact? If you go to buy a jacket for winter, we have a choice between many brands, obviously. By choosing a company like Patagonia, we are choosing a lot more than a jacket. We are choosing a business and people that care a lot. Patagonia made the switch from damaging industrial grown cotton to 100% organically grown cotton and fully recyclable clothing. It was the first to start making jackets from recycled soda pop bottles and even something as simple as the first business in the US to print its catalogue on recycled paper. They fix and repair all your old Patagonia gear so you only ever need one jacket. Which is pretty incredible in an age of short shelf lives to encourage repeat purchases. I've had my Patagonia hat for 10 years. It got ripped, I took it in, they stitched it up. Little things count. And just like they help pioneer in-work childcare, these things can soon become the norm. We stay warm and look good, and ensure the planet looks good too, and ironically doesn't get too warm. Speaking of looking good, have you heard of the stylish new shoes made from nothing new? From the company, nothing new. Made from recycled fishing nets, 100% post-consumer recycled plastic and recycled rubber. 5.6 plastic bottles are repurposed into canvas for this pair of shoes. And 160 gallons of water are saved compared to 100% cotton canvas. And other simple things like recycling water stations instead of plastic bottles right through to green offices. Trifork, who started these go-to conferences, has many smaller offices closer to employees' homes for a shorter commute and less stress on the employees and less stress on the environment. You also spend more time with family and have more space to think creatively. Creativity. It's a win-win, right? Where we spend our time and money shapes the world. Spend with these companies and we do make a positive difference. And for many, our choices when spending money are purely emotional. So we learn the tools I've mentioned, things like mindfulness, awareness, compassion, and we also create more conscious human beings and thus more conscious and patient consumers. And the ripple just continues further. And for me, and and hopefully you, one old jacket that's been to 30 countries and had many adventures ripped and torn, patched up and, and repaired, is far cooler than a new one each year. It has character and speaks volumes for the character of the person wearing it. Now, if you made that shift too, of what coolness really is, then we would make even more of a powerful change, but ripples even further and socially we look at do you encourage or pay your employees to volunteer in their communities in cultural events charities nfps and other organizations salesforce are one their employees are eligible to take up to 50, 56 hours of paid volunteer time off per year to support their communities it might not seem like much but since its inception in 1999 salesforce employees have volunteered more than 1 million hours you Now, what does this do for our communities our people and our world Well, by bringing together diverse backgrounds and intergenerational mixes, we build tremendous social trust, understanding, empathy, and belonging, especially when we do it in a conscious and deliberate manner. Add volunteering as another effective tool to allow diversity to flourish. And volunteering, and of course, this is not backed by any scientific data, but it creates more compassionate, kinder, and generous people. All the people I know who give their time and energy to others in the right manner are just that, kinder, happier, healthier. My mom had four sons and on her one day off she would take me, a three or four year old kid, to help her with her meals on wheels. She's one of the kindest, sweetest humans I know. When we bring volunteering into our workplaces, we can help cultivate more of these people by helping others and our businesses. Okinawa, Japan, which is a blue zone, renowned for its people's health, prosperity and longevity, counts regular cultural events where people of all ages come together as a reason for their long term happiness you got 10-year-olds mixing with 9-year-olds. More respect, trust, understanding. And that can do wonders for our world. Blue zones won't just pop up in Copenhagen, San Fran or Sydney overnight. But it's something we can use as a blueprint to foster more happiness in our businesses and our world. And it's pretty damn simple. And another idea. Do you provide financial support to green initiatives, cultural events, education initi- institutes? Patagonia. Donates 1% of its sales. Sales, not not profits, that's over 100 million US dollars over the years to carefully chosen environmental nonprofits. And that's on top of all the other things I just mentioned. And when we look at the last stakeholder, customers, a business as a provider of goods and services brings happiness as it generates positive emotions such as pleasure, entails laughs, mood boosters, stimulates creativity. It empowers the customer to increase their independence, self-love, self-awareness, and it spreads positivity through optimism, compassion, and altruism. It is basically here we look at the impact of the goods or services on the short-term hedonic happiness and longer-term eudaimonic happiness of the customers, and whether the product or service contributes to or meets some of the UN's sustainable development goals. Things like good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, and sustainable cities. It is important to at least be aware of these things when we design our products and services and when we create our companies. They can offer a source of inspiration, help identify opportunities and priorities and provide a framework to measure your impact. They give insight to considerable market market opportunities while offering tremendous potential to make an important change in the world. We can also look at things like circularity to eliminate waste, keep products and materials in use and regenerate natural resources. According to research from Robert Half conducted with Happiness Works, a sense of pride is among the strongest drivers of happiness. Feeling good about the company you work for is a big deal, and workers who feel proud of their organisations are nearly three times more likely to be happy compared to those who don't. And we can impact this directly by our actions and inactions in regards to our communities, our environment, and our customers every single day. All these things combined, these practices, research, definitions, form the tool the happiness score. Measuring businesses on their happiness output on a scale of 0 to 100 with over 120 practices and insights. Bonus points for good practices and points deducted for bad ones. Providing clear insights into specific areas we can improve and develop. Using happiness as the metric that can engage business to make simple changes to how they interact with their four stakeholders to drive even more impact in a holistic and interconnected manner. And engage everyday people so they can easily identify the great businesses. When a business creates this holistic happiness, they become recognised and highlighted as a happy business. And then we can all make more conscious choices easier. Combined, they magnify the outcomes in a happy, engaging way, but then magnifies things even further. And that's when we get a chance to create truly happy cities. We're currently in talks with local government in Australia to implement this happy business initiative throughout these local areas. The businesses benefit from the insights in the happy framework, Helping drive more spending offline in local communities and building on street presence, more important today than ever before. For local government, they benefit by hitting key environmental performance and sustainability targets and build resilience and harness innovation in retail. They feel high vacancy rates becoming more of an issue each day and better serve local communities. They create great experience, remove barriers, and support collaboration. With loyalty programs, special offers, and events, Awards, networking, we create new, innovative, healthy, and sustainable ways to reach consumers and entrepreneurs to drive happier businesses, happier communities, and a happier world. And what about instead of a Yelp-style review on how the bread was toasted too much, a rating on how happy did the business make you feel? First Sydney, then Copenhagen, then Detroit. Happy business, happy people, happy communities, happy city, happy world. And of course, it is no doubt challenging. On a consumer level, can we all, all afford to pay more for a jacket or for food? For many, we just need to stay warm and to eat. To eat anything. But the shift has to come from somewhere and maybe it comes from us. People who are far more fortunate and able and there are enough of us. And surely we realise that in 2020, the importance of voting for the people we want and need to lead our planet and its people. At least this way, we put that direction very much in our own hands every single day. Many worry that the capitalist approach to economics might not be properly serving our best collective interests. Yet a world without business seems quite unrealistic as the central human activity. The goal is not to get rid of business, but to get it to serve our long-term interests better and ultimately be globally happy. The happiness ripple is real, just like the Yale study indicated, and we can choose to spread it in our many roles as human beings multiple times every single day. By where we work, shop, eat, who we hire, fire, who our suppliers are, who we invest in or take investment from, what we code and don't code, where we live and play. People of all ages and businesses of all sizes can make small choices that lead to big systemic shifts. So, don't run away from your suffering. Water flowers, lots of them. Give your time. Be bold, be vulnerable, be courageous. Challenge yourself, challenge your business and its leaders. Be curious, always be curious. Sometimes it takes just one email or 100, one text message, one smile, one hello, to change someone's life and change the life of many others. Sometimes it takes courage to be uncomfortable, to not shine light on those seeds we don't want to grow, and the same courage to water and sow the seeds that are important. We all have the conditions to be happy, we just need to sharpen the tools that will actually make us happier, freer and more fulfilled. We are all responsible for our thoughts, words and actions, for our choices, for our world and the world our little ones inherit. What are we offering them? Thank you. My name's Evan Sutter. You can find out more at evan at or by jumping on at evansutter.com. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you soon.